What's up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing out and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. And we're now on YouTube. So if you or someone you know prefers to listen to shows on YouTube, please recommend them Found Bites GRS on YouTube. All of our episodes will be available as thumbnail videos with audio synth animations, but we'll also be putting up the videos of the interviews we've done so far, as well as some other exclusive content. So check it out. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. Citizen Sleeper is the game for this week's episode. Citizen Sleeper is a strategy role-playing game, and it reminds a lot of games that we've talked about before in the podcast, like Through the Darkest of Times, Black Book, but also a game called Torment, Tides of Numenera, which is kind of an ode to old CRPGs like uh, Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale, uh, but I think it's supposed to be a spiritual successor to Planescape Torment, which is the only one in that genre that I actually haven't played, so F me. The game was originally released in May of 2022 on PC, Mac, Xbox One, and Switch, and then in March of 2023, so fairly recently, it finally came to PS4 and 5. The game was developed by Jump Over the Age, which is a one-person studio. Uh, The guy's name is Gareth. The game was published by Fellow Traveler, and they've published some indies, some that I've kind of had my eye on, one in particular called Church in the Darkness, which I recently bought. The game had three episodes of DLC that were released for free and are now included with the main game. Uh, The first was released in July of 2022, the second October of 2022, and then the third, uh, I believe, around March or April of 2023 alongside the PlayStation releases. And this game did get a sequel announced, Citizen Sleeper 2, and I believe it is still not dated yet, so stay tuned for that. The game got some physical goodies along the way, including a tabletop RPG via the publisher Lost in Cult, which kind of specializes in all kinds of physical things that go along with games or or whatnot. And I believe it completed its funding, but it doesn't have a release date just yet. And the vinyl soundtrack also was released through Lost in Cult, although I think you can also get it through another website called Stumpy Frog Records. That was announced in May of 2023. 
MSRP of the game digitally is $19.99. The tabletop RPG, because it kind of had a funding phase, there's like a scale of bundles that you could go for, whether from 40 bucks all the way over 100 And the vinyl was released for U.S. equivalent of about $45. I think the Lost in Cult version is sold out, but you can still get it on the Stumpy Frog Records website, I believe. Runtime of the game... If you're just running through the main story, just doing what you're supposed to do to get to the end of the game, which can be a bit confusing and has me a little confused, it's listed as six hours, but to do everything in the game, all the other quests and drives, uh, could get you over 12. Me, I got this for sale on PlayStation. I bought the PS5 version for $15.99, and I've put in about six to seven hours. I'm really taking my time. The game doesn't really tell you hours. It tells you how many cycles, which is basically a day. And so I've done 50 cycles, so I'm pretty fairly in it. Um, And I've definitely completed a lot of quests, but also failed a bunch as well. Uh, No one really recommended this game to me. I saw it on sale, and something about the name sounded familiar. I don't know if I caught it uh, maybe from a podcast that I listened to, whether it's Sacred Symbols or Watch Out for Fireballs. But I did see it on sale, and I'm a big fan of the strategy role-playing games that are kind of like D&D situations. Um, So I jumped in. gameplay for citizen sleeper so this is a strategy game there's going to be a lot that's kind of hanging on you spending your time and so there's like choice based situations where it's like i could spend my time here i could spend my time here so if you've ever played any of the persona games you'll notice some similarities with that and the game is narrative heavy there is uh, situations where there are a lot of dialogue and dialogue choices and it kind of stems from like D&D like games and stuff like that but let's start with looking at your character so in the beginning of the game you'll have a choice between classes I think there's just two and it's just like vague stat differences basically so you have an array of stats that have to do with different tasks and we'll talk about that when we talk about tasks but one of the classes will be better at like physical labor one will be better at like technological stuff so you can choose between them and then it'll display the different bonuses that you're going to get with the different types of tasks. You will be able to upgrade your character in those specific stats, so you're not like kind of pigeonholed into anything. There are energy and stability meters that you need to monitor. It's always on the middle of the screen what each of those meters are at, and it's going to tell you like how to manage them. So there's going to be like a system management going on. And each day, after you're finished a day, and they call them cycles, basically you're going to lose two spots of energy and one spot on the stability meter. And how this is going to be kind of intertwined is the lower your energy gets, if you don't feed yourself and get more energy the next day, it's going to lower your stability meter at a greater pace. So you definitely want to manage those two things because your stability meter is going to manage the amount of dice that you get each day. 
And if you look at the main screen on the HUD at the top, you'll see your stability meter at the top. And then at the bottom, you'll see your energy meter. And then you'll see five spaces for different dice. And wherever your stability meter is at the beginning of the day, that's how many dice that you have. So your stability meter has a lot of different ticks on it. And when the ticks go past like the fifth dice box and only occupy up to the fourth, then you'll only have four dice that day. And dice are going to be very important because that's going to dictate how many tasks you can perform in that day. So there's a lot of like sim management type stuff, like systems, kind of like Stardew Valley, but more like Subterrain, which is a game we've talked about before, where you had to like manage like your bathroom meters and stuff like that. So some similarities, not super involved and not like constantly moving or anything like that. It's pretty steady. So the general loop of the game, like I said, it moves in days, which they call cycles. So you're going to start by waking up. And your meters are going to tick down from resting the night before. So like I said, your energy meter is going to go down two spaces. Your stability meter is going to go down one. And then you can kind of go out through the day. And you'll see how many dice you are allotted. And then you're going to look at the dice. And they're each going to have a value of one through six. And that's going to dictate what you're able to do in specific tasks. Once you come out of your home base, you'll be able to peruse the area and the different points of interest and what available tasks are there. And then you'll be using the dice on those specific tasks at your choice, at your leisure, however you want to do it. And then you'll get some consequences for that. You'll also be able to buy and sell different things with currency, possibly come across story events where you'll be reading dialogue, and then you'll basically exhaust all the things you need to do, you'll use all your dice, and then you'll go back home and rest, and it'll reset again. So that's sort of the general loop of how things go. But let's talk about the format, how things are presented, and how you progress in the game. So as you're perusing the area, basically what you're doing is you're looking at a space station map, and it's cyclical, so you're going to just move the map almost like a, a running treadmill. And it's like this top-down view of the station, and you're going to rotate through, and it's going to show you different points of interest that are available. And then you can click on those points of interest, and at those points of interest, it'll show you different tasks. And at a lot of these, you'll have multiple tasks that you can do. Some of them are going to be a one-time task. Some of them will be repeatable. And for each task, it'll give you the context, the cost, and the consequence. Uh, vaguely, you actually get abilities that'll show you uh, more transparently what the consequence will be. But each one of these tasks is going to have a specific category, and these categories are related to your stats. And what's nice about this is it's kind of an open perusal. You can really take your time and strategize. There's no clock that you have to worry about. You just want to identify some things that might look interesting, things that might get you currency in the description, and just perform some of these tasks. And like I said, the way that these tasks work, they are categorized and it'll tell you the category. There's also some availability factors. So some of these points of interest may have a meter around their circle and it could be a meter to refresh like you have to wait for it to refresh in order to go back to that point of interest or it might be like a time limit like you have a certain amount of cycles in order to perform tasks at this location a lot of these points of interest and tasks are going to have story or quest implications again it comes down to you're able to choose what you want to move forward in or what you want to progress in and it is possible to miss some of these whether it's because you ran out of time on the meter or because another quest shut down that point of interest. And we'll talk about quests a little later on. There could be an unlocking mechanism at this point of interest where it's like you have to perform this repeatable task a certain amount of times and fill this meter. And it could be like a get to know the area type thing. So whenever you expose like a new point of interest, 
you might be in a general location and it'll say like, okay, perform these two tasks to like get to know the area. And what they'll do is like unlock other points of interest in that area. And of course this could also unlock different quests or NPCs that you meet. And what's good is that when you're at the point of interest, all these screens that either have a task or like an unlocking meter or something like that, it's all displayed for you very transparently. And of course you can go in, choose not to do anything, kind of look how you're gonna spend your dice. Speaking of using your dice, so the value of your dice is pretty important. So it's one through six. And basically what this is going to indicate, and there's a nice tutorial that goes through this, what percentage chance you have of having a negative impact, a neutral impact, or a positive impact. And so you can guess that the value of the die is going to dictate your percentage and how they're split. So for example, something like a one or a two is going to have a 50% chance of being negative, 50% chance of being neutral. Three and four is going to have a 25% negative, 50% neutral, and 25% positive. So it kind of splits the difference there. A five is going to have a 50-50 with neutral and positive, and then a six is gonna give you a 100% chance of a positive outcome. And the danger of those outcomes is indicated by a word under the task where you put the die in, and it might say dangerous, risky, or safe. And so if you're putting in like a one for a task and it's a safe task, you might not have to worry about such drastic negative outcomes. And so some of the rewards or outcomes or consequences might have to do with gaining currency, might have to do with gaining or losing energy or stability, those meters that you have, advance an unlocking mechanism or meter in that point of interest or something like that. And of course, it could have negative impacts. It could hurt your energy. You could take away energy. You could take away stability. You can also use currency at different points of interest. So instead of tasks that require dice, there might be tasks that where you can just pay currency to get something. And again, it could be a place to gain energy, a place to gain stability, a place to gain different materials that'll come into context a little bit later. And then something fairly early on that you'll get access to are like network tasks. So if you're looking at the normal map of the space station and you're going around like a treadmill, you can actually push triangle and then you'll look at like the network nodes that are going on and you'll be able to hack certain ones and get digital materials. And what's nice about these network tasks is they actually take advantage of you have to use a specific number die to perform them. And they really get at using a lot of low numbers. So if you're stuck with like ones and twos, you can probably go to some of your network tasks and get rid of them and use them and actually get something viable from it. So it's a nice balance to use some of your lower dice when you may not have all high dice. But something else that's going to happen when you're going through these tasks, you might meet NPCs, you might get quests, get access to quests, which are called drives, and you can kind of track them. And that's going to kind of lead us into the story progress in this game. So what's interesting is that a lot of the story comes with narrative interactions that are kind of like these D&D situations, but it's pretty reading heavy. Like you're going to be reading, uh, you know, fairly long paragraphs, and then you'll have a response. Maybe your character can respond one of two ways or one of three ways, but your dialogue choices, much like choosing where to put your dice when you're looking at tasks are going to have consequences as well. Very similar to a lot of Western RPGs, a lot of D&D type stuff. Again, I'm going to reference games like Torment, Tides of Numenera, or even KOTOR or Through the Darkest of Times, where you might open up different lines of communication or different access to NPCs or things like that just based on your dialogue choices. What's interesting about a lot of the questing and sort of the NPC stuff is there's not really a clear distinction, at least in the menu, between main quests or side quests 
And at any given time, you can have five to 10 that are just like active that you can track. And so they're kind of feathered together. But again, nothing's really telling you like this is a main quest or this is the main story. And I do like that. It kind of creates this strange GTA 3 vibe. If any of you have ever played GTA 3, where it's like at a certain point, you have access to this other person giving out missions and you can choose to do their missions or go back to the original person. And then there might be three people. And then all of a sudden, like the original person's not available anymore. So like there's this weird kind of pushing things along as the story progressed and it makes a lot of sense contextually with how things progress there are only a couple situations where i was like okay this is definitely the main quest or the main thing that's priority and it had to do with like the context for direness so early on there's the situation where like you have a tracker in you and like someone is tracking you and they're coming for you and there's like a meter showing how many days until they come and so you're like okay i really need to focus on this because you know i might die or something like that and so given that it's not always clear like what the end game or what the end goal is of the game. I mean, I'm pretty far right now, but I've failed a lot of quests, but I'm still playing. And so I'm just like, okay, let me explore, you know, these other quests that I have or that I haven't given that much attention to. And so it kind of creates this interesting web that's pretty complex. And it reminds me of like Detroit Become Human, where I feel like there's not necessarily one route to go or like I have to complete this quest. It's like, I can just kind of make mistakes with my choices or lose quests and still progress through the game. And it kind of brings about the sense like this is a living world where like you can fail at things, but you're still there. It's not like you're just going to get a game over screen um, because you messed up this one thing. It's like you're going to stay in this world and kind of suffer the consequences if you do fail something. And it also brings to mind this comparison of like making it more like a sim, almost like a Stardew Valley. It's just like, well, I'm still here. You know, I'll go through my daily tasks and go through the things uh, that I want to go through and just like as things progress, they do. But like I'm still here and I'm still working. And it's also interesting because the free DLC comes in and you can do that at the same time as some of these other quests. And I wasn't entirely sure what was the DLC and what isn't, which I suppose is a good thing. But it makes like the choices of what you're putting towards tasks a little more interesting because it might get in the way or it might also intertwine really well if you're using your time wisely. And of course your character can upgrade. I did talk about like your stat points being able to upgrade. So as you progress through quests or maybe if you finish a quest, like you'll get upgrade points and you can kind of wait and hoard them a little bit and spend them on higher things. But basically what you're doing is potentially getting bonuses for specific categories for your dice. So for example, like if you get plus one to endure, whenever there's a task that is an endure task, you can put like a five there and it'll turn it into a six. And you'll also unlock like when you do this specific task, you have a chance to like get back energy or get back stability or things like that. So it really adds like uh, some other layers to performing or choosing the tasks. And also you'll be able to, through quests and things like that, get access to more tasks at your home base, like abilities at your home base to like renew some energy, renew some stability. So it really kind of puts some agency on you to like customize and really, you know, reap some of the benefits of diving into specific corners or specific quests um, and kind of getting some rewards out of it for you.
right, let's talk about the vibe of Citizen Sleeper. So let's start with setting and story. So this is futuristic. It's outer space. You're on a space station. There's this idea that maybe the station is like a colony. There are other colonies. There's settlements. So similar to something like the Expanse universe. A lot of politics and corporations kind of going back and forth. There's some deep storytelling, but it takes time for you to get it because you're going to get it from NPC interactions. It's kind of dystopian, at least where you are. There's a lot of like refugees coming from like poor conditions. And there's also the idea of like kind of androids. Like you are what they call a sleeper. And it's very interesting you find out early on what that means. Basically, a real person that had your consciousness copied themselves for a corporation. And you are supposed to be like utilized by that corporation, but you escaped. And so there's this idea of like transcendence or even I got a lot of vibes from like Dollhouse, the Joss Whedon show. And it's also interesting to place this in sort of a future timeline I've played a lot of games that have to do with futuristic settings. Like we just came off of Jack Move a couple of weeks ago and I've played Nier Automata. And it's really interesting to think about like the yearly progression of like where they might be placed in the future compared to today. So something like Jack Move would be a little more recent in the future from today because it has to do with like, you know, people are still on Earth and like there's a lot of cybernetics and stuff like that. And we did talk about transcendence in that. But then you move forward to something like the Expanse. And now we're talking about outer space and like colonies in space stations or possibly on different planets. And then you have all the way to the extreme, which is near Automata, where it's like there are androids and there might not even be humans left or humans made androids to kind of fight in these wars and stuff like that. This is kind of placed somewhere between the Expanse and near Automata. Like we're going to different places and we have space stations and there's this strange kind of political setting. There's these corporations taking advantage of things and, you know, individuals, some are still human, some are like somewhere in between. And it's really interesting. I really dig a lot of that futuristic stuff. In terms of narrative and writing, there's really great depth of lore and history here. And I really like how you come about it. It's not like you're just reading books or getting big lore dumps. All of this comes from like these dialogue and narration sequences with NPCs. And a lot of it is not just like talking back and forth. It's like you are reading kind of a blurb here that's describing like narratively what's going on, this detailed description of the interactions, almost like someone is literally writing a novel. And it's really great character building because it's not just like info dump. It's like describing a scenario and like one person's emotions and like how their physicality is changing while they're speaking. And so a lot of complexity there, a lot of detail. And this also goes into like your quest choices when you're doing these dialogue scenes um, because you'll get a paragraph and then they'll be talking and then you might choose to not talk or say something specific how that branches off kind of like what we were talking about with uh, Detroit Become Human and it really also leads into introspection of your character I talked about transcendence but your character really struggles a lot with their existence and just existentialism in general and consciousness and what it means for them and especially if they're supposed to be a copy of a person somewhere not feeling like the true person and something that we did touch on in Jack Move as well so it's interesting to see those parallels between those two games. In terms of visuals most of what you're seeing is like an overhead view of the station like you're just kind of passing the camera through and not so realistic but it looks like a rendition of a space station a three-dimensional model things that you might expect from a simplicity standpoint but a lot of detail in other ways 
these of like you know the different shapes of and structures and things like that it's interesting like when you go to like a metropolis area it is lit up almost like a nighttime city and so it's it's really nice to get that vibe visually when you're having like a narration sequence or you're having dialogue with an npc i really like the visuals of them it's almost like this hand-drawn pastel or charcoal version of this character where they're in like these action poses but they're like still it might be that they're just standing there uh you know slumped over or they might be leaning on something but really really good vibes from that really just love the rendition of that and it's kind of colorful in what's otherwise like a pretty dark environment because you're looking at the space station most of the time and you're seeing you know the black of the night sky Uh, but a lot of detail in these npc drawings really capturing emotion especially on faces exhaustion in people especially you know people who are really struggling like refugees and whatnot and it also puts their name vertically like next to them almost like a smash brothers character being announced so i really do like that because you're seeing them visually but you're also remembering their name in terms of audio really love the audio in this game it's nice to have sort of as like a background aura really nice vibes sometimes it's slow pace sometimes it's fast i really like the incorporation of like different synthesized sounds that make it very futuristic sometimes it's somber and lonely other times it's like something just happened and it's like get up and go we got to move it reminds me a lot of void bastards like when you're on the menu screen or the map screen kind of embodying that emptiness and it's really nice because there is no voice acting in this game because the writing does so much for character development i actually like that there's not voice acting because it really kind of gets you into that vast empty abyss of space that you're kind of feeling right in front of you the whole time Let's wrap up the conversation about Citizen Sleeper. I think this is a great game. It's pretty heavy in terms of D&D scenarios and reading and, you know, lore and stuff like that, but really great depth of characters and history. It's obvious that this is a well-built world and well-realized. So if you're someone who's into that, I think that you'll find a lot here. Really like the strategy, tactical elements, and the pace of it. It is a lot of system management at times, but you have the time to make your choices. If you're someone who's indecisive, you might struggle a little bit because you can just sit there on the screen and and nothing's going to happen. But you can plan carefully, and I think it's nice. I do think it is possible to do all the NPC quests and drives. I definitely fumbled a lot of them. Um, so if you're super aware, like you can get through all of those things. And I think a trophy is associated with each one. So I know I'm getting towards maybe the end of the game because a lot of these trophies are popping and I think it's for specific NPCs. In terms of value, I think $20 is really good for this game, especially given that they released three free DLCs. And I think that's really good um, because each of them comes with like NPC arcs. Uh, so a lot of extra content just for that same price point of 20 bucks if you find it on sale i think 15 and under is really perfect for this game and if you see it on sale i highly recommend that you jump on it 
I think this game is a great addendum to like a Torment or a Black Book and other D&D-like scenario games that have other like major aspects. Like Torment, for example, is definitely not just, you know, reading and, you know, making D&D decisions, stuff like that. It's got heavy combat, but a lot of similarities also with like the different stats here and the bonuses you can get and how the combat works, performing tasks in Torment works. So a lot of similarities there. But overall, I think this is a nice, relaxing game, and I really... Just highly recommend it. Alright, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.